Welcome to the Crypto Vault podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry. Welcome back to the Krieg DeVault podcast. I'm your host, George Lepinotis. I'm joined today by one of my favorite colleagues and one of my practice group leaders. I'm, I'm a member of a few of the practice groups here, Julie Carpenter. Julie, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Uh, you are the practice group chair for our commercial and real estate lending practice. Let's unpack that because it's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right. What is it that Corel, as we affectionately term you, your group, does and what type of practice is it? We represent um, most of the financial institutions in the area, um, both geographically and some across the country, with respect to both commercial lending, which is like asset-based lending, where the collateral is either um, personal property or sometimes lines of credit that are unsecured. And we also do real estate lending, which could be construction lending, acquisition financing, um, just you know refinancing, um, all different types of lending where the, the collateral is real estate. Yeah. And for those of our listeners that may not be that familiar with commercial lending, it is, in fact, there are commercial loans when they get to a complexity or size that cannot rely on form documents, right? And where it really, truly does require a deaf, daft, not de <laughs> no, wait, deft, uh, uh, a sophisticated, sophisticated, let's switch the term, a sophisticated approach to drafting. And that's where we come in. Um, what is it? What is it about commercial lending that requires that extra layer of scrutiny and legal review? Well, a lot of times, like what you referred to, smaller loans or business banking loans would be documented internally. It's just a matter of, you know, loan amount, parties, um, collateral. But when you get into the middle market or larger market or even syndications, it gets very complex, um, especially with respect to the collateral and the type of collateral and um, some of the asset-based lending deals. If it's like structured finance where you have um, not only senior debt, which is the bank debt, but you also have MES debt, um, you have subordinated debt. It just gets very complicated, and form documents will not work in those situations, along with um, syndications that the banks are not set up to internally document a complicated syndication. Right. And in that sophisticated commercial lending world, there are a number of provisions in these documents, while not always written exactly the same, that can be common concepts. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes. Um, and one of them is how the interest is calculated. Correct. Which is why we're here today. That's kind of our timely topic. Although uh, I'm going to get back to some other topics, but let's get into the, the kind of the, the headliner, the title, and that is LIBOR. I understand, well, I'll let you, what, what does LIBOR stand for? Uh, London Interbank Offered Rates. Offered Rate. I always say overnight rate. I don't no. think I don't think overnight has anything to do with it. It must just well, it be Well, it does in one of the, the potential replacements for um, LIBOR. But LIBOR's been around for a while. And, um, I mean, I'm trying to think back probably 10, 15 years. I feel like I've been documenting using LIBOR for a very long time. 
um, because there's so many different options with LIBOR. You've got daily LIBOR, one month, three month, six month. There's also a two month, um, but not very many people use that. Um, but what's happening with LIBOR is it is a rate that is, it's a forward looking rate. And so there's a group of people that get together in a room and they try to come up with what they think the rate should be. And so it's easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. And that was starting to scare some people. And they're like, we really need a rate that reflects the market and the credit risks that are out there. And and LIBOR just seemed to be not that rate. And, and what's been happening with LIBOR, um, people were so concerned about it, they've been putting in place LIBOR floors or interest rate floors because of the fluctuation associated with LIBOR. So they decided, I think it was back in 2014, the Federal Reserve, um, that they want to get away, they want to do away with LIBOR. And so that was going to be my question. When you say they want to do away with LIBOR, it is the Federal Reserve. The regulators, yes. Yeah, the regulators in the United States want yes. to get away from that particular standard of interest rate calculation. Right. Now, you mentioned that it is forward-looking. Correct. Uh, but banks have really universally accepted LIBOR in the past. What is it that makes LIBOR so attractive to a financial institution? You know, everybody was using it. It was just a known rate, okay. and it was universally accepted as the rate. I mean, um, it was just, I don't think people really thought that much about it. They're just like, everybody's using LIBOR, and we want to be competitive with our um you know, peers, so we're going to use LIBOR too. All right. So it was not necessarily something great about the product. It just happened to be the standard that everyone fell on. There is, I did read an article, there is $200 trillion worth of debt out there that is, the, that LIBOR is the reference rate, <laughs> the index. Yeah. $200 trillion. $200 trillion. That's 10 times the U.S., I think, gross national product. And they and and to put that in perspective, you're taking two hundred trillion dollars of debt, and and those loans that are documented, they will continue to rely on LIBOR. No, see, that's what the what you know the challenges we've been faced with. So when they announced that they were going to do away with LIBOR, it was the date that they provided. I think it was they they originally thought it would be gone by now, but they kept extending the date because people just weren't getting their act together and coming up with um, you know an alternative. And so two years ago, I think it was in 2019, they basically said, hey, we're not kidding. It's going away, and here are the dates. So um, a few of the – they're not really used LIBOR rates. I can't remember what the tenors are, but it's it's not the one month or the daily or the ones that are typically used – are going away this year. Okay. The ones that – the indexes that most people use, which would be the daily or the one month, you know, the three-month, the six-month – the 12 month, those are not going away until June of 2023. However, the regulators have come out and said, we do not want you issuing any new LIBOR loans as of December 31, 2021. And so everybody's been scrambling. Different banks have had different requirements. Like some of our banks stopped doing LIBOR loans first quarter. Some waited until second quarter, and some are just now. Some are I'm still documenting deals using LIBOR because technically they still can do it. Okay. But the problem becomes once LIBOR goes away, and this is what everyone was alarmed about, is what's the fallback rate? So originally the suggestion was to go through and 
um, go the amendment route where you put some language in your your loan documents that provide, hey, when LIBOR goes away, we'll get together and we'll amend the documents and agree on a new index. And that was what everybody was doing back in 2020. We were, every time we touched a document, we amended it and we put in fallback language that said, when LIBOR goes away, you know, we'll adopt this amendment approach. And then that started to morph into a, well, we kind of have a feeling of the rates that we know that we think we want to be the replacement index. And so in 2021, um, most banks wanted us to use language with a hardwired approach where we were, the fallback was a specific index. And that's where the, the road diverges because some people are going with SOFR, and I don't know, that's the secured overnight financing rate. That one is a backward-looking rate. Um, and some people um, wanted to use Bisbee, which is the Bloomberg, I think it's called short-term yield rate. Some were looking at Ameribor. So you have all these different options, and lenders are, I mean, we have some that are using SOFR, some that are using Bisbee. Some that are so worried about this that they're not going to use any of those and they're going back to prime. All right. So let's, I want to back up a little bit before we get into the replacement rate because I do want the listener to understand that what we're talking about is not only going to affect new loans going forward, but will also affect previous loans that, have, that relied on LIBOR as their rate Correct. definition. Correct. All right. So... When you, as you look at it, and we, we understand the Federal Reserve has said LIBOR is no longer a thing. We don't want to use LIBOR. Has the Federal Reserve weighed in on which standard would be the most appropriate to replace LIBOR with? Well, there was a, a committee formed. It's called the ARC. It's called the Alternative Reference Rates Committee. Um, and they researched this. They, they came into existence in 2014. And they're the ones that came up with SOFR as the alternate rate. Um, and they did studies and tables, and they compared SOFR to LIBOR. And so once we got to that phase that I mentioned about the hardwired portion where you, you bake it into the document that it's going to be SOFR, people were still not comfortable with that because LIBOR and SOFR were so different that the art came up with a spread at table of spreads that you would have to use. So when you, when SOFR, you use SOFR, which is the recommended, their recommended fallback, you have not only um, the margin that you would normally use, you know, like LIBOR plus 300 or whatever. Now you also have a spread that you need to include, and there's a table for that. Um, but it just, it's overwhelming to a lot of folks is, you know, what exactly, it's like comparing apples to oranges. One was a forward-looking rate, one's right. a backward-looking rate, it's, you know. So practically, moving from LIBOR to SOFR could have a significant impact on the ultimate borrower making these repayments and incurring this interest. Right, but the end goal is they really want it to be as similar as possible to whatever rate you had using LIBOR. The rate should be substantially similar using a different index, whether that's SOFR or Bisbee or whatever, because there's the ARC also recommended that you build in language where you could make conforming changes to the margin or the spread so that you basically get the same end result. Yeah. So the idea is to keep it as similar as possible to LIBOR as possible. 
Without using LIBOR. Without using LIBOR, Without yeah. using LIBOR. Now, you mentioned something that I had not heard before, and that is reverting the prime. Can you explain that? What, do, what is the difference? And, and maybe you don't know, because as attorneys, we, are, we, are, we're only, we only go so far into these business decisions. What is the value of just, and that was something that I thought of as I first heard of this issue, is just go to prime. prime. Yeah. Some Why not use prime? Banks, some of the smaller banks are doing that because it's just easier for them to um, calculate internally. I mean, when you think about switching to a different index, it affects how you calculate everything. You have to have the process in place to do all this. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a lot easier. It's the easy button. You know, let's just push the easy button. We'll go back to prime. You can get to the same place using margins right. and floors right. as you would with LIBOR and SOFR or Bisbee or whatever you want to use. It's just, it may, and it may not be as volatile as, I mean, that's what concerned people about SOFR. And, and that is the fallback rate for a lot of folks is that it's an overnight rate. And they didn't have a term rate yet, but they just came out with one at the end of July. SOFR did. Yes. yes. So people are breathing a sigh of relief because now with SOFR, it's called term SOFR. You can do... I think it's one, three, six, and twelve months um, for so, for term so far. I don't don't quote me on that. I can't remember because I know Bisbee. I think Bisbee has more options than Sofer does. So maybe it's just one, three, and six. And it's funny before we went on air, you asked who's listening to these, and 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 we 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 talked about that. But as I envision who's listening to this one and and thinking about it, I'm sure it would be people involved in the financial world and some of our financial institution clients which is predominantly who your group represents, is the banking Banks. side of it. Mm-hmm. And they would have their own opinions probably uh, varying not only bank to bank, but probably banker to banker. Uh, may yes. have a different opinion on what would be best for his clients, what would be best for her market, uh, however that might fall in. But as I think of a borrower listening to this, or even someone not that familiar with interest rate calculations, it does seem overwhelming to try to understand. And really from the perspective of um, simplification of what am I going to pay in interest? Uh, that's the nature of these types of loans, though, isn't it? The, they, they're basically looking for the all-in rate. Just tell yeah. me what the all-in rate is. I don't care how you get there. Right. And just what is my rate going to be? That's right. Now, as we talk about rate and we talk about these issues, they couldn't come at a I'll call it a better or worse time, I guess, worse from the complexity of changing a standard perspective, a better time because commercial lending, commercial real estate, commercial uh, acquisitions, mergers are at an all-time high. Is that your experience in your practice? Yes, we are busier. I mean, last year and this year, busier than we've been continuously. I mean, sometimes we have our ebbs and flows, but it has just been full out bore the last two years. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a trend toward deal making, like the, the likes of which I've never seen before. And um, your practice is, is is broader than mine in this arena. But um, I'm I'm assuming that some of it has to do with the uncertainty of upcoming tax changes. I would speculate that to be true. Yeah, yeah. Well, Julie, thank you for being with us today. It was not as bad as uh, as easy. I advertised it, was yeah. it? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, to our listener, thanks again for listening into the Krieg DeVault podcast. We appreciate your joining us. To learn more about the subjects and topics we've discussed today, feel free to visit our website at kriegdevault.com. Specifically, you can find Julie Carpenter's bio there, as well as some additional thought leadership that she has on her website, including articles and, and other types of, uh, of uh, information on this topic and others. 
I uh, hope to see you again soon for another episode of the podcast.